They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They then turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. They then asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this, and they asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you're... You, you, yeah, now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Ha! <laughs> This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. <laughs> the end. Wow, trying to inject some 
reverence into there. We had fun doing that though. Gordy, are you going to be teaching live today? Shall I, shall I pray? I'm wondering what time reference I should pray for you in. Are you teaching live now? Wonderful. God of all good things, thank you for life and family and love. Thank you that you are so welcoming, that you've opened your heart and your arms to us. And thank you that that is who Gordy is too, that you continue to move him in his life and have him move us towards openness and love and welcome. And that's his, his sharing today is about who's in and who's out. And so I pray, Lord, that you would continue to anoint him as I believe you've already done in his preparation, that you would continue to bless us by the presence of your Holy Spirit as we listen and learn. And for those who will be watching this teaching after our gathering time today, we ask your blessing on them too. Thank you for your goodness to us. Fill Gordy with your peace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Joanna and Wade and Pallister family for that uh, amazing reading. Uh, that's exactly what I envisioned. <laughs> I just could not see that text being read any other way. And who better to do that for, for us than the Pallister family. So that was brilliant. Thank you so much. And good morning, everybody. Uh, and welcome to the seventh, 17th Sunday after Pentecost in Ordinary Times as we continue our teaching series today on embodiment. Seeing the good news through the eyes of John the Beloved. And what a text today. Uh, it's got to be one of my favorites. And in it and through it, I want to address the topic and the theme, who's in and who's out. Because in this long dialogue from, that began last week at the beginning of the chapter of the healing of the blind man, there's this undercurrent in our text uh, about this question. And from earliest childhood, most of us, of course, are confronted almost from the day we begin to realize that there is uh, somebody other than us that's not us. And as we, we grow up, we were confronted with this sense of who's, who's of us and who's not and, and who's in and who's who's out, and it comes in all forms, and, uh, and it attacks one of our deepest human needs, and that is to be loved, to belong. We were, we were made for this. So we feel it very young, who's cool, who's not. When I was young, glasses and freckles meant you were out, and I had both. <laughs> and uh, my mom thought they were awesome, especially my freckles. And uh, and do you remember that cruel exercise of uh, picking teams? Remember when you, you had a bunch of people that wanted to play a game and you didn't know which side to be on? So, so that you'd appoint two people who are relatively good at the game, whether baseball or soccer, and they would take turns picking players. And you would, everybody, there was this cry, this scream inside, don't pick me last, pick me, pick me now, because we knew that the last person wasn't really picked. They were 
basically sentenced, uh, the team was sentenced to them and the team got stuck with you. And, and so there were um, tryouts that we did where if you were good enough, you got in and if you weren't, I had an experience in grade seven that uh, where I got cut from a team and it literally, I, I can look back at my life and see that it shaped me for the, the next uh, at least 15 years of my life. It drove me with a vow that I would never let that happen to me again. And many of us have experienced that. And, um, and, and it happens in other ways too. It happens in to social groupings, cliques and bullying that we experience. And, uh, and it doesn't stop when we grow up, does it? It doesn't stop when we're adults. It takes different forms. And, um, and religion is probably one of the worst ways this happens where your status is based on certain behaviors and uh, whether you've checked all the right boxes and crossed the right theological T's and dotted the right theological I's. And it seems the church through history, we've been quite fond of excommunicating each other, haven't we? And uh, that's so tragic when you consider what it is Jesus called us to be. And so this issue comes up in our, in our text today. And with a lot of, as with a lot of John, have you noticed, by the way, there's a whole lot of talking in John. It's just like, and, and, and uh, most of that talking is arguing. And you, you kind of go, John, what, 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 what's going on here? But it's not, it's not arguing in a seminary about theological issues in, in, in an ivory tower of academia. But actually, it's arguing, if you look at John, most of the arguments center around an action that Jesus has taken. So it's not theory here. This is in the heat, and it's not in a church. It's actually on Main Street. It's actually usually, you know, right in the center of where humanity is. And, and it's, a, it's usually a conflict or an argument that happens between Jesus and the Pharisees over something that Jesus has done, that they're offended by, or it's controversial. But today is different because the argument isn't between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's actually between the Pharisees and a man who had been born blind that Jesus healed, which has a special intrigue to it. And of course, what was the argument about? How could it be so controversial to heal a man that was born blind? Well, Jesus happened to heal the man on the Sabbath day. Again, <laughs> this seems to ring a bell, doesn't it? It seems like Jesus deliberately went after that, doesn't he? Over and over again. And just a couple of chapters ago in the healing of the, of the lame man, the same, same issue came up. So why was that? Why did Jesus... Uh, seemed to aim at the Sabbath this way. Did he not value the, the institution of the Sabbath by the creator in, in the book of Genesis and the idea of a, that there needs to be a time, a day that we stop and that we rest and be replenished? I don't think it's, it's that at all. Uh, it, there seems to be indications that by the time of this, this time that we're writing about, the Sabbath, the idea of Sabbath had mutated into this badge of visible identity. Israel had gone through terrible times where they'd been exiled. Their, 
their temple had been destroyed, not once, but several times and rebuilt. And there was this lack of certainty and, and, uh, and they were scattered all over the world still. They were, they were living in Israel, but many were scattered still in other nations. And so they were looking and crying out for some visible sign that would still mark them and, and set them apart as special and define for them who's in and who's out as the people of God. And so, in, as we'll see in this chapter, the people who were out were defined as the people of God and the people. Or, or sorry, the people that were out were called sinners. And you'll see that theme kind of come up through the whole story. The problem is that they had developed all these rules and bylaws around the Sabbath, which had to do more with their own interpretation of what you could and could not do more than what God had originally intended. For example, one rule is that you couldn't need dough, you know, the the act of, of, of kneading dough in, in, in moisture so that it could be made for bread. So maybe maybe that's where they said, you know, kneading mud, that's close enough. He's out, busted. So they had all of these rules and bylaws that, that were never in the original command. And last week we saw that Jesus had taken mud, literally combined with his spit, as we talked about, and applied it to the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he came back with his sight for the first time in his life, he was so transformed that the people who saw him and were familiar with him weren't sure it was the same guy. Does that ever happened to you, either to you or to somebody you knew that just met the risen Christ? And so they had to er interrogate him and to make sure he was the same person. And once they'd confirmed, they uh, brought him to the Pharisees. Now, we need to understand, often we call the Pharisees religious leaders, and that's not actually accurate. They, they were actually lay people. Uh, yes, there was a religious element. They, they were very versed in the Torah, as any young uh, man in the, in, in the Jewish life would be. But more than that, they wielded tremendous social and political power in determining particularly who is in and who is out, who's orthodox and who's a heretic, as it were. And they asked the man how he could see. And again, he told them, Jesus, this man they called Jesus, put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. So now the arguing began. Some of the Pharisees concluded immediately that Jesus was not of God, that he was a sinner. There's that word. He's out because he healed on the Sabbath. He's not legit. Others pushed back and asked, how, how can a sinner open the eyes of the blind? Maybe Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were in that lot. Remember, they were Pharisees too, lay people. And uh, so they turned to the, the man who'd been healed and they said, well, what's your opinion? And he said, he's a prophet. And some asked, are, maybe, maybe this isn't the same guy. Let's make sure. Let's find his parents. Let's get a witness here. Let's make sure it's the same man that was born blind that we saw begging there year after year. And so when they brought the parents, they asked them three questions and they were only willing to answer two. <laughs> the first question is, is this your son? Yes. Uh, was he born blind? Yes. Uh, all right. Well, how can he see now? Now at that point, they said, well, he's old enough to answer for himself. Ask him. <laughs> so John then informs us, he kind of tells us, he says, 
in the text that the reason why they didn't want to answer this last question is that they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue because the Pharisees, uh, remember the, guard, the guardians of who's in and who's out, had announced that anyone who declared that Jesus was Messiah would be kicked out of the synagogue. Now, that was no light thing, folks. Um, the synagogue wasn't, was not just a building, you know, like, like a church today. It was a community. It was, it, it was the center of a social and communal network. And, and it was even uh, more serious than being kicked out of a church, as we would maybe understand today. If you get kicked out of a church today, you can just go down the road and go to another church. Uh, and if you don't want to go to church, you still have lots of options for social contact. Hey, there's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, the mall, community groups, the fitness center. However, in Jewish life, if you were kicked out of the synagogue, you were basically unfriended in every way possible. You were socially ostracized in public spaces. It was costly. So it, you know, there was a lot at stake here for them. And by the way, a lot of uh, John's uh, congregations that he was writing this book to, 50 years later, were experiencing this kind of pain from their own Jewish community. So they asked him again, uh, they called the man in and they said, give glory to God and tell us the truth because this man is a sinner. So you see what they're doing? They're disembodying God which is what religion does. It's the biggest enemy of Christian faith since the very beginning, so much so that God, that John calls it in his first letter, the spirit of Antichrist, that disembodies God from humanity and tries to separate the working of God from working through human beings. And so they put God over here, but they put Jesus over here as a sinner, to which the man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Just love Nori's <laughs> rendition of that. So they asked him again, well, what did he do to you? Well, now he's getting visibly frustrated. And you could just feel that frustration, tension rising. He goes, I already told you. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And of course, that enraged them. They said, we're Moses' disciples. You're his God spoke to Moses, but we don't know where this guy came from. At this point, the blind man gave them a sermon. <laughs> he goes, how remarkable. You don't even know where he's from. And he opened my eyes. And then he preached to them and told them, since the beginning of the world, somebody hasn't opened the eyes of the blind. And at that point, they cursed him. They said, how dare you lecture us? You were all together steeped in sin. Remember the beginning of the chapter? The disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents? From top to bottom, you're steeped in sin. You're a sinner. And they kicked him out. Oh, the irony, my friends. Here's a man who was invisible all his life on the margins because he was born blind, assumed uh, to be of his own doing or his parents, to be a sinner. Now he's on the margins again. Because he didn't check the right boxes. He didn't fit their categories. So when Jesus heard about this, it says he found him. I just, I just love that. 
And this theme is going to continue in our next chapter. Next week, Tate's going to be teaching on the shepherd because it's all part of the same story. The shepherd and the good shepherd versus the hirelings and the, the wolves and the thieves that come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says he found him. Remember last week that song we played, Jesus runs after the broken ones. And that's what he did. He came after this guy who'd been alienated, who'd been kicked out, and he found him. And how many of us today need Jesus to find us in those places, those similar places in our lives, whether present or past, where we've been rejected? marginalized, excluded. But more than that, we need to find him. We need him to find us uh, through embodiment. We need a God with skin on, as that little girl said to her parents when she was afraid to go to sleep at night in the dark. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his masterpiece, Life Together, listen to this, the encouragement we receive through a sister or brother is 10 times more powerful than when we receive it directly from God. Wow, that's quite a statement for this giant of faith to say. Why is the encouragement that we receive from a sister or brother 10 times more powerful than when God speaks to us, maybe through his word or by the spirit? And I think it has to do with embodiment. God longs to be embodied. That's how God is made known is through embodiment. So when Jesus found him, he asked him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Now this was deeper than a, a theological proposition. This was not, okay, can you check off your orthodox box here and make sure that you can truly be in? No, this, there's something so much deeper going on. It's, it's similar to when they asked him before, what must we do to do the works of God? And he said, you must believe on the one he sent. There's, there's this sense of being invited to a lifelong journey of trusting that you are the beloved. That your primary quest in life is to learn this. Henry Nouwen, I've been sending around this little 30-minute podcast by Henry Nouwen that uh, was recorded in the 90s before his passing. And here he is, this brilliant mind who traveled the world, had PhDs and degrees coming out of his, his ears. And he, he just preaches this little 30-minute message with his Dutch accent. And he says, there's one journey and quest in life is to learn and to believe and to know that you are the beloved. And there's one additional factor that goes with that is that as you learn that, you start to say thank you and you begin to give away what you've received. How profound. And so you've been healed of this physical blindness, he says to this blind man, but now I'm gonna give you a different pair of glasses so that you can see. Uh, I'm gonna give you eyes to, to see who you really are, mirrored, Beloved in the eyes of God, no longer a marginalized one, a sinner, excluded, but embraced, beloved, belonging. And overwhelmed by this, the man fell and worshipped before 
Jesus. So let's just sit with this for a moment. From the beginning of the story, we've in, in John 9, we have these images of blindness and seeing, darkness and light, day and night. You see it through the chapter, both physically and literally, spiritually and metaphorically. And, and, and I, I totally agree with Sandra that so much of what we read in scripture is not just a literal story or a narrative. There's metaphor and symbol and imagery and prophetic and insight that's just breathing through this chapter. It's so amazing. And we can never cover it all in the time we have today. But Jesus came to correct our vision, to heal our broken mirrors of how we interpret things and how we see ourselves. And, and see, when I, when I put on a different pair of glasses, Depending on what the glasses are, they affect what I see. So if I put these glasses on, everything looks darker. And, and, uh, and I can say to Kathleen, you know, everything's so dark. And uh, she can say, well, it doesn't look so dark to me. But she's got a different colored glasses on. Or I could put on those rose-colored glasses that we call about, talk about. Oh, they, they have rose-colored glasses. They don't see the, the dark side. And, and this is... What Jesus was trying to say to the man, to the Pharisees, what glasses do you have on? And I've talked about this before, but I want to look at it in, as we wrap this up in this through, through the lenses of who's in and who's, who's out. Why are we so obsessed with this as human beings? And I'd like to offer that it comes from a false narrative, from a false set of glasses and a faulty worldview that can be summed up with the by the word scarcity it's it's this belief this this ancient conviction that there just isn't enough for me you name it whatever i need there just isn't enough to go around and furthermore i am not enough not only do i not have enough but i in myself am not enough and we've called this before a lack of enoughness that we struggle with as human beings. And so what we do is we create our own salvation projects. You know what I mean by that? It's where we, we prop ourselves up and, and uh, we try to, through our own efforts, try to compensate for this lack of enoughness. And, and, and in doing so, it's, it's now, in, we take back control for our own salvation. But then we have to create an enemy or a scapegoat because if it's all up to us, then there just isn't enough love for everybody. There isn't enough provision for everybody if it's up to me. But I'm not living in grace. Now, to be clear, let me just clarify that there are times that boundaries are needed for the sake of love so that someone does not cause harm to themselves or to others. And probably the most extreme example of this in our society is prisons, because these must, but these, even these must be restored, restorative, not punitive, not punishment. Jails for punishment don't work. It just makes people worse. But restorative justice is what works. And so this idea of in and out just plagues us. And for those that grew, of us that grew up in the church, uh, we, we were impacted even 
by coming to scripture with the wrong glasses on. And so we see language such as the wheat and the tares. And we go, well, am I a wheat or am I a tear? Or the sheep and the goats. And we start thinking, well, am I a sheep or a goat? Because the goat's out. The tares are out. The wheat's in. The sheep are in. And perhaps the ultimate in and out, right? Heaven and hell, right? Those are the two ultimate ins and outs. You go to heaven, you're in. You go to hell, you're out. But what if we took off our in and out glasses? For example, when we came to these categories and we put on another set of glasses and not one that sees these analogies as categories for who's in and out, but rather descriptions of our own hearts and our own lives. What if there's a sheep and a goat in me? What if there's wheat and tares in me? And what, what if heaven and hell are in me? And what if heaven is believing that I'm beloved, believing what Jesus asked the blind man to believe, that I am the beloved and I choose to live every moment in that love? And what if hell is isolation and disconnection by believing the lies of the false self that begins now, begins right here? And what if the difference between the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, heaven and hell, is moment by moment whether or not I choose to believe and to trust what God says about me? What I am that I am no longer estranged, marginalized, excluded, because I am beloved and included. So it's just putting on a different set of glasses and choosing to believe that there's a lot, enough love to go around, that every human being is created in the image of God and carries the spark and the life of God in them, whether they know it or not. Often the lies of the false self blind us to that. So for our reflection today, what I'd like to do is just uh, throw this question up, first of all. And uh, I want you to take a, a moment to reflect on your own story with regards to belonging and or exclusion. Just Take a moment to reflect on that, where you've experienced the joy of that belonging or the pain of that exclusion. I was thinking this morning that I, I've experienced belonging when someone has been so hospitable to me and given me a nice, big, warm bowl of soup on a cold winter's day. It comes through food. Food's so important for this. And where in your story are there moments where you experienced exclusion, the pain of that, past or present, where God has found you and shown you your belovedness in spite of that? Or where do you need that today, for today? Where do you need that? Just take a moment. I'm going to play a song for you before we stop. Uh, we're going to stop recording in a minute, but I just with the, those that are on YouTube, I want you to just reflect on this with, with us for a moment.
one of the things I love about the African-American and well, anyone from African descent, when you hear their story and you listen to their music, um, there is a remarkable understanding of the, the joy and the miracle of coming from exclusion to embrace. They understand that. So much of their story has been about exclusion. And so when they encounter the gospel and it came through the spirituals in the early Americas and, and, and it still impacts their music today. And I want to play this song. It's a little bit long. And uh, for those of you that are on our YouTube, we can't uh, include it in this video, but we will have the link for it that you can go to uh, after this uh, recording is done. And I'd love you to join in, but I just want to read for you uh, these words. I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved more than I could imagine. And that is enough. So as we play this song, just let, uh, let this wash over you today. <laughs> 